You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Welcome, welcome. So good to see all of you. I was thinking about it. We have two guests with us this morning in town. The sun. You remember the sun that used to shine? It's back. <laughs> and we also have with us um, Ashley Pell, who's a missionary we support in the Philippines. We're going to invite her up in just a moment. And then we're going to have Thomas. And Thomas is going to share with us. And But... Um, Since we began the church, part of our devotion was to give at least at least 10% of everything that comes in here, tithes and offerings. And our team believes in generosity. Actually, goodness is one of the fruit of the Spirit, which means generosity. And the way we've practiced it in our own personal lives is to give at least 10% of our income to support the church and its work. And that's something that we have built into the church itself as we receive our, our tithes and our offerings. And what we have uh, need to communicate better is the kind of missions that we support. One of them, of course, being Ashley that you're going to hear from here in a minute. She's going to give us an update. But we have built um, two freshwater wells in Tanzania through um, Hydrating Humanity. We support a couple that shares the gospel in Iran through teaching and worship satellite video, which is remarkable. They uh, don't want people to know where they live because their lives are in danger. The Iranians Iranians don't want that. We support um, four couples in Cuba that are all professional people who've left their profession to pastor. Um, We support Jim Hill, who's built a training center and a water filtration plant. In Argentina, and we support a young man who does skateboard and surfing outreach ministry in Mexico. And we have someone we support that feeds the poor in Israel, both Arab and Jew. And so before Thomas comes this morning, we do want to welcome Ashley Pell. So Ashley, if you'll come on up here. And and let me say this, you folks got a lot of money. I know you do. And Ashley has um, some partner cards on the back table. So if any of you want to do something for her directly, yeah, come on, loosen up. Help this dear lady. And, uh, and keep giving here, too, because we got some more stuff we want to do as well. But thank you all for what you do. Let's all do better, do more, and be grateful anyway. Okay, so here's Ashley. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, it is a tremendous blessing to be with you all this morning. Um, I can't believe it's already been a year. Um, the last time I was I w- uh, was able to be with you all was the first Sunday of this year, and we're almost at the end. And it has been an incredible year, and I want to thank um, uh, Pastor Robin for uh, allowing me to come and thank you all. Um, Queen City has been a huge blessing this year, giving all year to what God has been doing in the Philippines, and I want to tell you thank you. Um, it has been a huge a year of growth for us. We've stepped into a new season and um, it has been amazing to have you all as partners. I have a little video that I'd like to share with you um, before I share a few testimonies about what God's done this year. My name is Ashley Pell, and I serve with David and Christine Mayim, and we are Northgate Ministries Philippines. This year, our training and discipleship ministry has focused on our growing leadership school in Tabuk and hosting seven retreats for pastors and worship leaders in our ministry center here in Baguio and launching Northgate Central Girls Home for At-Risk Girls. 
The Lord has entrusted us with nine girls. They have very different stories, but one thing we know is that their lives changed forever when they became part of our family. Through all of this, we have seen God move. He's brought comfort and strength, renewed vision in His presence. And we are so grateful for your partnership and your support. And we are excited about all that God is doing here in the Philippines. So at the beginning of this year, we got to share the testimony of God miraculously finishing our ministry center through the pandemic. And now this year, God has filled the home up with incredible ministry. Um, this past August, we opened our girls' home officially. Um, my sister Martha was able to be there when the girls came in, and that was uh, such a blessing to us. And we watched God begin something that... Uh, it's going to be a journey. We're on a journey with each one of these girls. They've, some of them have been through horrific situations. Uh, some of them are, are prayers that we take girls out of risky situations and are able to put them in a safe place as they grow. And we're learning more about them as they're learning to trust us. And our vision for each one of them is that they would walk out this path of healing and growth, that they would find out who they are in the Lord and that we'll help them, uh, go through uh, education, either college or a training center that would give that will give them the platform to be successful, not just in a professional sense, but to be successful in the Lord's eyes, that they would be able to uh, be a witness in whatever field God brings them into. So I want to ask you to pray with us. There's nine girls. Pray for each one of them. This is a process. Pray for us as we lead them, our team, as you saw David and Christine there that I serve with. We also have a, a, a larger team that takes care of them. Please pray with us for each one of those girls and pray for us as we lead them. And we also have had a, a wonderful year with our little network of churches. Uh, we have a, a group of churches that are church planting um, in areas that uh, don't have churches. There are many of those places still in the Philippines. Um, we have a training school that's been around since about 2014 for pastors who are uh, leading in those areas. And one thing that has happened recently in the Philippines is that there is a large number of people um, who have been offered amnesty by the government if they stop doing drugs or selling drugs. And part of that recovery program has been handed over to the pastors. So one of our pastors, who is also the police chief in that area, is planting churches among uh, drug recoveries. And let's pray. Let's, let's pray for him. Pray for the work there. These are church plants in church plants and communities that used to be strongholds for drugs. And, uh, there's, th this is active in, in different, uh, tribal areas. And we also have, um, pastors who are out in little, very remote areas, um, working and planting churches in tribes that don't have the gospel. And we, this year, we were in one of them. We, um, we travel out. Our leadership school is eight hours away from our base. We travel way out there to where these pastors are so they don't have to travel to the city every other week. And every time we go out there, we try to travel to some of these church plants and visit them. And we went out. Um, I actually didn't realize that we were going to an unreached tribe. This isn't something we talk about there, like this one's unreached, that one's unreached. It's just the work. So we were going to uh, this church plant, and only when we got there, we realized, oh my goodness, this, these are the first believers in this whole area. And we were worshiping uh, with them in a little makeshift um, house, uh, a church gathering place um, beside the house. Um, and there is so much hunger for the Lord that you can just feel in this small group of people. Prior to uh, finding Jesus, their, uh, their belief system was um, so, uh, an animistic belief system where there's a lot of appeasing gods, a lot of fear of gods, 
um, and trying to um, make sure that you keep them, keep the gods happy with you so that they don't do things that will harm you. What an incredible place to walk into when you realize that there's a God who loves you, that there is a God who is for you, that there's a God who wants to protect you. And there's so much freedom, freedom from fear in, in the, in, in that place. And so worshiping with this little congregation, um, I felt impressed on the Lord, the significance of what was happening in the lives of each one of these people and in this tribe. But realizing that this little group of Christians will never be significant in the world's eyes. They're never going to have a huge building. They're never going to have a name. They're never going to have a, uh, they're never going to be the church that people talk about. But sometimes what is significant in the Lord's eyes will never be significant in the world's eyes. And we have to not base our own success in life or in ministry or even the choices that we make on a standard of success that is not the Lord's. And I, I felt impressed to share with them that, um, that when we were there, because there can all, there can sometimes always be this feeling that we're reaching for something that we're not, uh, that, that we don't have, that we need while we miss out on what God is doing or even God's smile or God's approval on on what we're doing right. And that little congregation, that little group of people is bringing the light of Jesus for the first time to to their neighbors, to to their community. And we have that same opportunity. Um, We have that same opportunity wherever God has placed us and I believe that God uh, has for us something, each one of us, something to do that is significant. Um, and it may not ever be recognized. But I just encourage us all as we go into this new year to put our roots down deep, to focus on the things that God has in front of us. And it's okay if no one notices. It's okay if it doesn't bring success in God's eyes, I mean, in the world's eyes, as long as it brings approval from the Father, because that's really what we're after. I want to thank you guys so much uh, for your support this past year and this coming year. And really, please keep praying with us. Pray for these church plants. Pray for the work that God is doing. Pray for these girls whose lives have just changed forever. Um, we are so grateful. I know um, uh, Wilma is not here with us uh, this morning, but I would like Wilma, who is a part of this congregation, came to visit us this year. She came, but when she went back to the Philippines and came all the way up to our ministry center, and it was a tremendous blessing to have her with us. Um, and I just want to ask you, so if anyone's coming, you know, just let me know. Um, we'll come pick you up at the airport. And, but just please keep praying with us because we really are one body. We're one body doing this thing all together all around the world. And um, I, th- I want to thank you for being a part of it. That's awesome. <clears throat> I love our church's heart for missions. I come from three generations of missionaries. So I love it. My, uh, my parents live in Korea now. I grew up in the States, but China and the Korean Peninsula is due to our heart. And I love that we support all of these ministries around the world. Um, welcome <clears throat> for our guest. My name is Thomas Torrey for... Those of you who are less familiar with me, I'm Thomas. I'm a volunteer here, and um, I'm going to be speaking today. And uh, by vocation, I'm a filmmaker. By calling and passion, I'm a filmmaker. Um, and exactly one year ago today, I was finishing principal photography on my latest film project. Um, and if you were here about that time, you heard me talk a lot about it. Of course, it featured our own Stephen Williams, John Mark McMillan, and a few others. A lot of you were extras in it, and I've been editing it all year. It's done, and hopefully it will have a good premiere this coming year, 2023. And maybe this time next year, because it is a Christmas set film, maybe this time next year it'll be released to the world. We're going to try to sell it and have a distributor, a proper distributor, release it. So um, it's a film about music. It's a film about Christmas. It's a film about hopes and dreams. And um, it 
is all about sort of when the year ends. It uses the setting of the end of the year, the holidays, to sort of ask these questions that have to do with time. Um, When am I ever going to make it? When will the break happen? When is it time to let the dream go? So you're in for a treat because I'm going to show you the opening four minutes of the film right now. Um, And it includes a little bonus Christmas carol. And uh, uh, here's the opening of the film, and then I'll talk more about it. Take it away, Chris. What is it about the end of the year, the holidays? You start thinking about all these plans that you had and these hopes and dreams, and then you get to the end of the year, and it's like, all right, this will be the year. So that's the opening. Hopefully it paints a picture where this character who's got big dreams is asking, what is it about the end of the year where you start thinking about those dreams? And then you see his station in life. Um, We are in the season of Advent. The four weeks culminating in Christmas. And today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. And Advent is the church's observation, the church's celebration that is most concerned with time. And I'm going to talk a lot about time, how we experience it, what it means, God's time. The word itself, Advent, means the coming, this idea of anticipation. Of course, our whole December teaching series is about expectancy, expectation, a coming, If you are familiar with the liturgical church calendar, Advent is actually the beginning of the church calendar. It marks the beginning of a new year in terms of the the church's observances of our holy days, our feasts, our observances, and liturgical churches will mark their year by this calendar. Advent's the beginning. And it just so happens to fall at the end of our own solar year. Um, actually kind of coincidentally, it's sort of by accident. It's interesting to look at the history of our solar year and why December is now or why Christmas is December 25th. That's for another time. Um, but we who observe this solar year, January through December, the entire world, in fact, the modern world, um, now we're in a time where not, it's not just that December will soon turn into January, It's that one year turns into another year. A year is ending. A new year is beginning. And psychologically, this has the biggest impact on us as time observers. The entire film of Long December is is about a man wrestling with the end of a year. It's sort of the inciting incident for him asking these questions of, when will it happen for me? When will the break happen? When do I let the dream go? And if you're an artist or a musician or a filmmaker, you can identify with that struggle, unless you're wildly successful. Maybe then you'll have other struggles. Humans are time observers. We observe a passing of time, both consciously in how our minds build the moments around us, but also through witness. We bear witness to a day turning to night and a new day coming. We bear witness to seasons changing and circulating around. We see things grow old, change, age, die. And we construct calendars to make order out of time. We christen holidays and traditions to give that order meaning. And if you happen to have been present for either of my two teachings earlier this summer, you know, story is meaning, meaning is story. There is a a solar calendar inherent in nature, right? We know this because we happen to be on a rock hurtling through space, bound gravitationally to this massive star called the sun. And we orbit around that sun even as we are turning on our own axis. And because these movements are cyclical, 
as opposed to linear, they naturally come to a revolution point where they begin again. And thus we have a natural experience of time or a year. It takes one year, 365.25 days for our planet to go around the sun. And this activity, the spinning of our earth also produces weather conditions, weather cycles. And of course, there are places on earth because of their position with no great seasonal change. For instance, if you lived in the desert or the Arctic, you might not, you might not have a natural concept of a solar year. Life might be linear, day to day, sun, morning to night, over and over, endlessly. And so we create ways to measure time. Not just seconds, minutes, and hours, but calendars. Um, a little bit of our current solar calendar, January to December, it's called the Gregorian calendar. I don't know if you knew that. It's based on the Julian calendar, which is based on the Roman calendar, which, oddly enough, had 10 months. The Roman calendar was a 10-month calendar. But because they knew that a year was what it is, they actually stuffed a whole bunch of extra leap year days every other year so that it wouldn't fall off track. Very interesting. We've evolved and grown into a very efficient Gregorian calendar, 365 and a quarter days we have a leap year. But even as we on earth base our lives on the Gregorian calendar, we also observe other calendars. Many of them, we all use them. Are you aware of this? If you're in education, for instance, maybe you order your life on an an academic calendar which is sort of September to May. If you're a full-time student, that's how you make meaning of your year, you order your year. Or if you are a CEO, maybe you sort of think in terms of a fiscal calendar, which can be whatever a company decides, often through July to June. Or maybe you think in terms of your own birth year. I turned 41, November 24th, happened to be Thanksgiving Day this year. It's now a new year for me. I'm early in my 41st year. Speaking of my parents in Korea, and just to drive home the point of how sort of relative this all is, in Korea, you have a birthday, you celebrate your birthday, but you don't age up to the next number until the following new year, and everyone ages up together. Isn't that interesting? When you're born, we think in terms of months in the West. In Korea, you are one because you are, you haven't completed your first year, you are in your first year. So they say you are the year that you're in. Everyone goes up together that following year. You can see how arbitrary this time is. Not, not meaningless, very meaningful, but it's relative. It's a construct. And, of course, we have the church calendar, the liturgical calendar, which brings me back to Advent, the beginning of our liturgical calendar, a time of expectancy, a time of coming, a time of birth, a beginning. The church even built in uh, a way to engage with the meaning of Advent by virtue of the Advent wreath. If you went to a liturgical church like I did growing up, maybe you lit the Advent wreath every Sunday. Um, we were just at a Lego store after Thanksgiving and they had a Lego advent wreath. It's pretty cool. We bought it, put it together. At its surface level, it's a fun tradition, but like all traditions and practices, it has meaning. It tells a story. Each candle, for instance, represents a part of the nativity story. So each week, the church can recite, remember, recall an aspect of the story all culminating in the Feast of the Nativity, which is the official name for the Christmas holiday. Um, For instance, the first candle represents the prophecy. The ancient prophets of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Micah, foretold in the city of David a coming savior. First candle is the prophecy. The second candle represents the place. That place is specific. It's Bethlehem, the city of David, which is really interesting because Mary and Joseph did not live there. They traveled there for the census. The third candle represents the witnesses. This was not just an event that a mother and father had of a newborn baby, Mary and Joseph, but there were unaffiliated third parties that were sent there. There were the shepherds, 
who were uh, appeared to by the angels. There was the Magi from the east. The third candle represents the witnesses. The fourth candle represents the vessel herself, Mary, the mother of Christ, most highly favored among women, said the angel Gabriel and Luke. And the fifth candle in the center is Christ. We create calendars, we create holidays, we create observations, observances. And yet for all our measurement of time, the calendars, the metrics we created to market, the traditions we experience, we practice to make meaning of it, even the natural motions of the planet and the stars, time is a creation. Not just a construct of man, which is the measurement of time, Time itself is a creation of God who sits outside of it all. That is literally an impossible concept for us to understand. But we can start to grasp at it. I want to read Second Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, verses 3 to 4 and then 8 through 10. Understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. In verse four, when Peter says, he's quoting the scoffers who say, where is this coming that he promised? That specific word for coming is the Greek parousia, which was the word for the coming of Christ. It was a concept that they were all familiar with. Jews, the Jewish people grew up in expectancy. They had this idea of the coming. That concept, parousia, is the same word for advent, which is a Latin word. So, in fact, the second coming of Christ is also known as the second advent. Christ came as a baby, the first coming, the first advent. Christ will come again, the second coming, the second advent. And I love verse 9 where he says, The Lord is not slow as some understand slowness. He is talking about the relativity of time, a concept that really wouldn't be at least scientifically articulated till Einstein, you know, just over 100 years ago. Time is a creation. And because of that, in the context of its creator, it's like vapor, dust, A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. God is outside of time. Peter is quoting Psalm 90 there. I'll read Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, mortals. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday, when it is past, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For all our days pass away under your wrath, and our years come to an end like a sigh. So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. Teach us to count our days, for we all pass away, but from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This is deep thinking. These are brain-breaking level thoughts. The word everlasting there is a Hebrew root word, olam, and I'm not, it's kind of a cliche talking about the Hebrew and Latin origins. I'm not doing it to try to impress you. I'm doing it because it actually paints a picture of how our English words fall short of these meanings. So bear with me. The Hebrew word olam, concealed time, 
vanishing time, eternal time, time outside of chronology. Olam is Greek. The New Te- uh, Olam is Hebrew. Excuse me. The New Testament is written in Greek. The Greeks had two words for time. This is what I mean. Our English falls short. The Greeks had two words for time: Chronos and Kairos. Chronos is time that can be measured. Chronology is the word for time's order, its sequence. Kairos is time that cannot be measured. A moment as opposed to a second. It's qualitative, not quantitative. And it has a deep spiritual implication. Time that is lifted out of the ordinary. In the New Testament, Kairos is used 84 times. Kronos is used 54 times. Didn't count it. I just took Google for its word. Yet our language has one word for time. Time. Um, I want to read a short passage from Madeline Lee Engel's book, A Circle of Quiet. I've quoted her before because she is a novelist and has a lot to say about story. So when I talked about story, I used her. This has also become my favorite book in the entire world. It's nonfiction. It's actually more of um, you know, intimate thoughts, diary entries. She talks about Kairos and Kronos. Chronology. The time which changes things, makes them grow older, wears them out, and manages to dispose of them chronologically forever. Thank God there is Kairos too. Again, the Greeks were wiser than we are. They had two words for time, Kronos and Kairos. Kairos is not measurable. Kairos is ontological. In Kairos, we are. We are fully in isness. Not negatively, as Sartre saw the isness of the oak tree, but fully, wholly, positively. Kairos can sometimes enter, penetrate, break through Kronos, the child at play, the painter at his easel, the musician at his instrument, the saint at prayer, friends around the dinner table, the mother reaching out her arms for her newborn baby are in Kairos. I sit in this rocking chair with a baby in my arms, and I am both in Kairos and Kronos. In Kronos, I may be nothing more than some cybernetic salad at the bottom left corner of a check, or my social security number, or my passport number. In Kairos, I am known by my name, Madeline. The baby doesn't know about Kronos yet. This is crucial to understand the difference between Kronos and Kairos. It's everything. We're taught Kronos. We just have to, we just might have to unlearn it in order to relearn or re-experience Kairos, which I don't think can be taught. Kairos, which is inherent in us since birth, perhaps most present in us at birth. Um, if, let me offer some more far too deep thinking for a Sunday morning. If this is already too heady, uh, hold my beer because it's going a little further. Um, I said earlier, earlier we are time observers. We can observe the passing of time. Have you ever thought about how our brains compute the passing of time? A moment is happening and then it's gone, right? We're in the present right now. In a moment, a moment's coming. It is now here in the present and now it's gone. It's coming and it's gone. The present is, it's as if it's infinitely thin. What we need to experience the passing of time, this idea that we can experience a flow of time, are two mental capacities called memory and prediction. These are the two tools that allow us to experience time as a flow. Our mind's ability to remember and predict, and we do it unconsciously, subconsciously. Imagine if you had no memory. I don't mean you can't really remember what you had for breakfast. I mean truly no memory. Your brain could not take a present moment and then build it neuronically into a memory. If you had no memory, pure amnesia, time would exist as a series of freeze frames single moments, instant moments that had no context, almost like a film strip, you know, when you put in a film reel 
playing a film, you can look at it. It's single film strips that have an idea of motion once they're put through a light bulb. The purpose of consciousness is to make meaning of these freeze frame images by our ability to remember and to predict, to give context, to make unconscious predictions. I remember watching a lecture by a scientist who said intelligence is defined by our ability to remember and to predict. Think about a baby who is unintelligent at birth. It doesn't have a concept of memory or prediction. And as it grows in intelligence, these things, it does better and better. If it can't really remember well or predict well, it will burn its finger every time it touches a hot stove. But it learns intelligence by having an interaction with a hot stove and then remembering what that did, predicting. Memory and prediction are crucial, but they are functions of our mind. The past and the future do not exist. They only exist when they are the present moment. The past is a concept that we experience from the present. When the past was present, it was present, then it became the past. It existed, and then it didn't exist. The future, similarly, does not exist. It only exists once it snaps into this present moment, and then it's instantly gone. Can you wrap your head around this? The past and the future are like vapor. They only exist when they are the present moment. The present moment is what exists, is what actually is. Kairos time, this moment. Sometimes we think of this concept of eternity as endlessness, a sort of future that doesn't end. But that's not eternity. That's not olam, that Hebrew word everlasting. It's the present moment without the construct of chronos. It's when I stop running the film strip through the projector that's linear and I step outside of that film strip altogether. God is not endless or beginningless. He's outside of time altogether. So metaphorically, we say he's endless or beginningless because that's, that's how we can only comprehend it. And the only place that God exists is in the present. He's not in the past, a construct of our mind. He's not in the future, a construct of our mind. He is only in the present. And his name reflects this. I am. I am. How much of our time is spent in our heads in the past or in the future? Worry is a sin. Why? Because it's separation from God. Why? Because it's living in the future, which does not exist. Here's a fun thought experiment to drive home this idea about worry, fear. Think of being alone in a dark room and you're afraid of the dark. The unknown. To be alone in that dark room is your present experience. The fear that you might have is a future experience. What might you be afraid of? Say, I'm afraid of a vampire coming out of the shadows and attacking me. That fear is of a future event. Your present is I'm sitting alone in a dark room. What happens if a vampire emerges from the dark and stands in front of you? Are you still afraid that a vampire might come out of the shadows and appear? No, because a vampire just came out of the showers, uh, the shadows and is now in front of you. Your present experience is now face to face with a vampire. The fear that a vampire might be lurking has disappeared in the present moment. Now, you still might be terrified, but your fear then is replaced by another future event. I'm no longer afraid of a vampire being in front of me because the vampire is in front of me. Now I'm afraid he might attack me. What if he attacks you? You're no longer afraid that a vampire might be attacking you because a vampire is attacking you. That's your present moment. Your fear now is replaced to some other future event. I'm afraid he's going to hurt me, bite me, turn me into a vampire. Whatever your fears might be replaced of, they're always being replaced by a future that does not exist. When that fear hits the present, the fear disappears. It, a fear cannot exist in the present. 
if you're still afraid, that fear is just some other future event that you feel like is right behind. Our mind is so powerful. It can actually produce physical reactions to the future, to fear. Fear can produce panic attacks, which are physiological. This is why Paul says in Romans that it is a renewal of our minds that we need. Be transformed by the renewal of your minds because our minds are so powerful and they create the entire reality that we experience, the passing of time. Man lives in Kronos. God is found in Kairos. God, Kairos is a gift that God gives us the time that we can actually experience him. It's not something that we're going to live in. We will live in it in heaven. We can experience Kairos now. Another one of my favorite books is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's fiction, sort of. It's actually kind of grouped with his nonfiction because it functions that way. It's about a senior demon training a junior demon in the ways of humanity Here's how you tempt them. Here's how you get them off track. Here's how you keep them from salvation. God is known as the enemy in the Screwtape letters. One of my favorite passages is when Screwtape, the senior demon, is training Wormwood, the younger demon. And he says, get your patience. Humans, they're called patience. Just get them to throw their thoughts either to the past or the future. Some past of sin, regret, or some past victory they can relish in, it does not really matter which. Or get them to throw their thoughts to the future, some future fear, some future hope. It doesn't really matter. Whatever you do, do not allow them to live in the present, for that is where God lives. That is where time touches eternity. That's where the film strip of our created time intersects with God who is eternal, everlasting, Olam, kairos. Advent is the season of expectancy. So that becomes a challenge. How do we be present, yet also expectant, which has a future implication? How can you expect presently? I believe it's the sort of waiting that the psalmist talked about when he said, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. It's not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. I remember an image that helped me understand this. The image of a bow hunter drawing his bow, waiting actively. He's both fully present and fully expectant. Preparing, waiting, Expecting, not in fear, not in regret, present. Advent is to live in Kronos with a Kairos posture. To live in expectancy of the Advent kind is to not view the season as a chronological event, but a Kairos event, ever expectant, ever in hope. And I think the Lord coming as a baby was entirely purposeful. Remember Madeline Lee Engel's word when she was holding the baby, having a Kairos moment and observing the baby doesn't even know about Kronos yet. Babies are amazing creations that reveal Kronos time. They are only capable of experiencing the present moment. Pets too. Pets can actually serve this function. Pets are present. And to engage with a newborn or a pet is to share in that presentness, that kairos. I believe this is what Christ meant when he said to have a childlike faith. Unlearn chronos, re-experience kairos, presentness, presence. Think about an overused phrase, the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Holy Spirit. I think we too often think of that in Kronos thinking. As if the Spirit lives in time and he has sort of joined us in this space at this particular time. But think of the presence of God as us joining him. Kronos becoming Kairos. Time touching eternity. Experiencing a moment. And it was just this morning reviewing this that it occurred to me 
that my film, Long December, wasn't actually a Christmas movie. It's an Advent movie. A man, it's about a man living in Kronos, waiting, expecting, learning to finally live in Kairos, finally learning presentness, living in expectation of a coming. That is our Advent. That is what we celebrate in this season, culminating in Sunday when we celebrate that coming. And what is it that comes but a baby? The physical manifestation of Kairos Kairos itself, a newborn infant. I want to lead us in communion to end. And I want to encourage us to engage with communion as a way to practice Kairos, a way to practice presentness. Because eating is a very Kairos activity, especially when it's good. Time stops and you are just present. If you have a future fear, it's I don't want this to end. <laughs> Communion is actually known a few ways. It's known as the Lord's Supper. It's known as the Eucharist. It is known as the presence. My Greek Orthodox friends call it the presence. It is a practice that invites our presentness. And in our prayers, I'll read some of the liturgical prayers that I grew up saying. You'll hear me say things like, our humanity is being joined to his deity. It is present language. In the same way in Easter, we say, Christ is risen. He is risen. Indeed, not has, not will, it is. That is Kairos thinking. That is not Kronos thinking. An ever-present, ever-perpetual isness. I am, is now. If you haven't gotten an element, Mike is in the back there with some uh, communion elements. And we'll just take a minute to prepare our hearts through just a prayer of confession. So if you need an element, you can just raise your hand. Mike will give it to you. And we will just confess together. And it doesn't have to be a groveling, uh, shame-filled moment. It's as simple as, Lord, I live in Kronos. Show me Kairos. Show me the present. We will uh, say this confession prayer together if it's there. After a minute, we'll just take 10 seconds to just quiet our hearts. And if you want to say this with me, feel free. If you want to keep it in your heart, feel free. I confess to Almighty God before the whole company of heaven that I have sinned exceedingly in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and what I have left undone. Have mercy on me, O God, and forgive me of all my sin. And I ask you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. Lord, where we live in the future fear or worry or a past regret, forgive us. Just like the vapor of time, our sin is like vapor. It is gone in your forgiveness. You are faithful to forgive us. You are abundant in mercy. You pardon us. You deliver us. You give us peace. You wash us clean in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. Amen. This water is poured into this cup. The chalice of salvation recalling the water which flowed from the side of the son of God. May the mingling of this water and wine, which are now inseparable, remind us that Christ is being joined to our humanity and our humanity is being joined to his deity, never to be separated. Go ahead and get your bread. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread in his hands and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this as a remembrance for me the body of Christ, the bread of heaven. Likewise, after they had eaten, he took the cup and he said, drink, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Drink this as a remembrance for me, the blood of Christ. One of my favorite prayers of the liturgy is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
Happy are those who are called to his banqueting table. And then the church can typically respond, Lord, we are not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and we shall be healed. And he has said the word and the word is advent. It is come. It is expect. It is receive. Lord, as we exist in Kronos, may we live in Kairos. As we expect the coming of your son this season, through the celebration of Christmas, may we live in Advent. And I will close. We will have prayer teams after. So if you want prayer for healing, for anything going on, a praise report, we'll have our prayer teams up. Please come and get prayer. And I will close not with a blessing or a prayer, but with a poem. I love that Shelley started with a poem. We're going to end with an Advent poem, also by Madame Leangle, also about this Advent season. Let us view with joy and mirth all the clocks upon the earth, holding time with busy talking, ticking, booming, clanging, clocking, anxiously unraveling time's traveling, Through the stars and winds and tides, who can tell where time abides? Foolish clocks, all time was broken when the first great word was spoken. Cease we now this silly fleeing from earth's time for time's a-being and adoring bow before him. Who upon the throne is seated? Time defeated wins is greeted. Clocks know not time's loving wonder. Day above as night swings under. Turning always to the sun, time's begun, is done, does run. Singing warning of the morning, time, mass, space, a mystery of eternal trinity. Time needs make no poor apology from bursting forth from man's chronology. Laugh and glee as human hours dance before the heavenly powers. Time's undone because the sun swiftly calls the coming light. That will end the far spent night. Happy Advent. Join us Saturday for Christmas Eve as we celebrate the the coming, the culmination. Have an amazing week. Visit Ashley at the table outside. Take someone to lunch. And uh, have an awesome week. If you need prayer, we'll have prayer teams. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 